We're getting ready to start a new series today, and we're going to be a series that's going to last throughout the summer in two separate parts. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But we're going to look through a book of the Bible specifically in the month of June. And then in July, we're going to look at some specific cases to apply that. We call this series Surviving Babylon, and we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. But I have a question to kind of ask you as we get started today, uh, something I'd like to, to kind of put out there for you. And this is it's simply this. How many of you have ever had a day that at the end of it, you kind of felt like this, right? How many of you, any, nobody raised their, anybody had a day like that, right? Where it just feels like everything has happened and everything's coming apart and you just feel like life is tumbling. How many, maybe more than a day, how many of you ever had a week or a month or a season of your life when it just feels like everything around you is against you? Here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about a guy who didn't have a day, who didn't have a week or a month or a year like this, but lived somewhere around 70 years in a life that would lead most of us to look this good, right? The story of Daniel, and we're going to talk about Daniel for a few weeks, and what I want you to kind of understand about it is, Uh, I want to dispel a couple of rumors or thoughts about Daniel before we get into the message because I want us to understand the reason that Daniel was written. Daniel's always been one of my favorite books. I remember growing up as a kid, I loved Daniel. Now, can you guess why I loved Daniel growing up? Why do you like Daniel? Lion's Den, what else? That's it, that's it. Lion's Den, that's all we got, right? That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The fiery furnace. We have the handwriting on the wall. We've got all kinds of stuff, right? Here's what I want you to know from the very beginning. A couple of things. First of all, Daniel was not primarily written as an adventure story for kids. Let's be real honest. Some of what happens in Daniel is not kid-friendly, right? No matter how many VeggieTales movies they make about it, it's not friendly to throw something in a fire, It's not friendly to talk about killing as much as in the book of Daniel it happens. And here's the thing. It's not just an adventure story for adults. I mean, Daniel's the kind of thing you could make a Hollywood movie about. You could really have a great TV series about all of these events that happen. But the primary reason that Daniel is here for us is not just for us to look at those stories and go, wow, that's great. It's also not for us to think that All it takes is enough faith in God to be saved from any terrible situation. Just have enough faith and God will take you out of the fiery furnace. Just have enough faith and God will deliver you when it looks like death is imminent. Just have enough faith and God will shut the mouths of lions. Here's the reason. It's because for the most part, Daniel is the exception to that rule. Right? What generally happens if you get thrown into a pit of hungry lions? You get eaten, right? That's what happens. What generally happens if you get thrown into an incinerator? You die, right? I mean, that's generally what happens. And by saying, yes, God can save, God has saved, but for the most part, God allows things to happen to us. And what you don't get out of Daniel or shouldn't get out of Daniel is this idea that just have enough faith and everything will be okay. That's not there. That's not the purpose. Secondly, the book of Daniel is not a guidebook to everything that's going to happen in the future. 
Now, I don't know if you know where Daniel is kind of in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, there are sections that the Old Testament is is kind of organized into. It doesn't go from Genesis to Malachi, direct straight line, all right, of history. And so it organizes. And so you have the history books, and then you have the wisdom literature, and then you have the prophets. And the prophets are divided into two categories, the major prophets and the minor prophets. That's not because one is better than the other. It just means that one is longer than the other. And Daniel finds himself at the end of the prophets, the major prophets, and he is one of the last prophets we would have in the time period of the Old Testament. But the point that he does give prophecies, he does tell things that are coming in the future. But the point of the book of Daniel is not for us to figure out everything that's going to happen. The point of Daniel is not an adventure story for us to look at and think if we have enough faith, we get out of it. It's not for us to be able to predict the future. So what is the point of Daniel? Here's what I think it is. And here's why I think it is going to become one of the most important books for those of us that are believers living here in the United States of America. The point of the book of Daniel is it teaches us how to live for God in a world that has gone haywire. I don't know about you, and I, y'all know me, those, you know, those of you that have been part of our church for a long time. I am, if, on the optimist-pessimist scale, I'm an optimist. I'm a guy that sees the good in things. I look for the good in things. I generally think it's going to get better. Things are going to be good. And so here my, my heart, I'm not a guy that likes to look out and chicken little it and the world's coming apart and everything's bad. But the truth is, it just seems that our culture in particular in the last few years has started to go off the rails. And things that used to be forbidden are now flaunted. And things that used to be covered are now displayed. And even for those of us that are biblical Christians, people that try to live our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the glory of his father, those of us that are committed seriously to following Jesus in our lives, what we have discovered is what used to be considered good in our culture for doing that became something that was kind of like, oh, we'll give you a patronizing pat on the back. To We're just going to ignore you. So it almost seems like outright hostility is on the horizon. And the question becomes, then, then, then what do we do about that? You ever heard anybody talk about the good old days? Man, I remember back, back, when I was, back when I was little, all this stuff wasn't on TV. You didn't have to worry about all that stuff. Do you know that every generation that has ever lived thinks that their generation is the worst that's ever lived? Here's the truth. Your good old days weren't as good as you remembered. Any of you parents may remember this. Any of you parents have a movie that you used to watch all the time growing up and you think, I'm going to show this to my kids. And you put it on in the first five minutes, you're like, why in the world did my parents let me watch this? Anybody ever had that, right? Yeah? Like, we got to turn this thing off. What the, what? I, I must have watched the Christian version of that movie. Because I was such a good child, right? People say, remember the 50s, back in America, back in the 50s, mom and pop and apple pie. It was a great time to live. The truth is, it was a wonderful time to live if you were a white suburbanite. If you were another ethnicity, it was not a good time to be an American. You keep looking back and saying, man, ours is the worst. And the truth is, I do think that our culture is moving down a track. But it's not the worst that's ever been. And here's how I know that. You don't have to turn there, but in the book of Revelation, towards the end of chapter 18, when God wins his final victory, there is a de- declaration of the victory of God. And this is what happens when they get to it and they declare the victory. They say, fallen! Fallen 
fallen is Babylon. In the scope of Scripture, the country of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, is the personification of God's adversaries and of evil. Now, quick question. Book of Daniel, where does Daniel find himself? Where does Daniel find himself? You're like, I don't want to answer. Babylon, there you go. I just, I led you to it, right? It's Babylon. And this is what made Babylon so terrible. We're going to read it. We're going to get to Daniel in just a second. We're going to read that. Here's what made Babylon so terrible. First of all, it had a godless king. Nebuchadnezzar is one of the worst kings in the history of the world. He, he was a guy that, that um, <laughs> this happens in the book of Daniel. I don't know if we'll get there or be able to talk about it or not. But th- he has a dream that disturbs him. And he goes to the people that are supposed to figure out his dreams and says, Hey, I need to figure out this dream. And they say, All right, tell us what the dream is. And I'll figure it out. He goes, I'm not going to tell you. If you can't figure it out, you're all going to die. Every one of you. He, he puts a huge statue up and says, You must worship me. He was a godless king. He set himself up as a deity and said anyone that followed Yahweh was to be killed. There was a godless education system. Their education system taught people how to do things of the occult and divination and astrology and satanic practices. Now, I know there are some people that are not happy with Common Core. But it has nothing compared to what the people in Babylon were doing. It was a terrible place to be spiritually different than them. They killed. They didn't throw in jail. They didn't mock. They didn't make fun of. If you didn't follow their religious system, you were killed. And then there's a fourth thing that Daniel had to put up with that we didn't talk about in my children's Sunday school class. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. And so you, you can look ahead if you've got your Bibles open. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But um, when they are, when Daniel is taken, he is put under the charge of a guy whose title is the chief of the eunuchs. Now, we don't talk about eunuchs a lot because it's not something we have in our world a lot. But eunuchs were servants of the king who specifically worked with the um the king's palace, the, the harem of the king. And in order to make sure that the people working in the palace of the king didn't get any ideas about the harem or the wives of the king, they would make them eunuchs. There's no easy way to say this, right? Castration. In their day and time, there's no, there's no solid proof of this, but in their day and time, when you were taken into a place... You were put under the leadership of a particular person. It meant that you were to do everything they were to do. And it tells us in Scripture that Daniel and his three friends were put in the service of the head eunuch. Now, most people think when Daniel was taken to Babylon, the personification of evil, he was somewhere around 14 years old. Now, I want you just to think for a minute about where he is. 14 years old, your hometown completely destroyed your god mocked you are taken out of your schooling out of your family separated completely from them taken to the headquarters of babylon and you are put in a school where they're going to teach you everything they do probably castrated so that you can serve as a eunuch in that place and they tell you if you ever speak of your god again you're going to die daniel chapter one starting in verse one says this in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I want you to notice this. We're going to talk about it in a minute. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now let's talk about that for a second. Who did this? The Lord. And what did the Lord do? He gave the king of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. You have to understand that Judah was the last hope for, for a kingdom that was going to follow God. And they had had a king after king that had been bad. They had one king that was good right towards the end, but everything went bad after that. And as a result, God is going to say, this is my judgment. And he delivers his people into the hands of the very people who have become the personification of evil with some of the vessels of the house of God. So not only does he get some of the people, not only does he destroy the land, get the king, he goes into the temple of God and starts to take things that are important to them. Things like the lampstands that would represent God's lighting the way for his people. Things like the Ark of the Covenant. Things like the Holy of Holies being desecrated. What does he do with all that stuff? He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. He goes on to tell us this. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz. There you go. If you're looking for a name for a kid someday, Ashpenaz, right? His chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. Most people think that Daniel was in the line of King Hezekiah. That he was a part of the family of King Hezekiah's family. Used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And he wanted to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That's the people of Babylon. So we're going to train them. We're going to do them. The Babylonians were not interested in just defeating an opponent. They wanted to wipe out a civilization. So they go and they take some of the Jewish people and they're going to make them into Babylonians thinking that this will do away with their culture as well as their people. It goes on to say this. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and for the wine that he drank. This was very gracious of him. He's bringing them into his palace. He's going to feed them with the same food that he eats, which would have been the best food in the land. He's going to let them drink of the best wine that we could drink. That would have been the best in the land. And they were going to educate him for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Train him for three years. Stand him before the king to see what happens. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them this name. And here are the names they changed them to. Daniel he called Belteshar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And here's that's why that's important. In biblical culture... Your name meant everything. Now, I told you all this before. Sometimes in our culture, names don't mean anything. Sometimes you name your kids and you're very specific about why you're naming. There's a family history. When we named our children, there was reasons behind everything we did. We named Eli first. We really felt that God had given us a miracle. And we wanted to declare that our Lord was God. And Elijah means Yahweh is my God. And so we wanted to declare that for us. And we wanted to declare it over him to start with. That from the very beginning, we wanted him to have that declaration over him. But some names aren't that important these days. I mean, celebrities name their kids weird stuff, right? Like Apple. That doesn't mean anything. 
right? My name, I've told you this, my name is Lyle, and it means from the island, which is obviously not where I was born. I was born in Dyersburg, Tennessee, unless you consider Mud Island an island. But in biblical times, names were vastly important. And here's what happens. This is the depth to which Daniel and his friends had sunk. Daniel's name means Yahweh or God is my judge. His parents, knowing that the judgment was coming, was saying that God is my judge. He is the only one that can control me. He is the only one that can say anything to me. And they changed it to a prince of Baal, a follower of their god, Baal. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. They changed it to Shadrach, which means commander of the moon god. Mishael says... What is who God is? It's a question. And it means there's no one like our God. There is no one like Yahweh. What is who our God is? And they changed it to what is who Achneth is, which is one of their gods. And Azariah means Yahweh will help. And they changed it to a servant of Nebo, which is one of their gods. Now, here's the depth of where they had gone. Daniel, who probably felt growing up, he's at royal line. He's of Hezekiah's family. He's seen the reforms of Josiah. He thinks, my family's going to be part of the ones that lead you to back to where God has us. I've got these dreams. I've got these hopes. I've got these desires. I've got these wishes. I've got all of this stuff that I hope is going to come true. And I'm going to be the person that helps to lead us back to Yahweh. At the age of 14 or 15, he is ripped from his home. His hometown destroyed. He is taken to a palace of a man who renames him as a servant of one of the gods that these Babylonians worship. And he is instructed in their ways. I don't know if you've ever had a dream crushed or you've had something in your life destroyed, but every bit of Daniel's future is gone. And two questions come to mind when I think about where he sits in this moment. Maybe they're the ones that come to your mind in the midst of the situations that you find yourself. Maybe it's not as drastic as Daniel, but perhaps it's the breakdown of a friendship, the breakdown of a relationship. Maybe it's a career that's going sideways. Maybe it's an unknown medical diagnosis. Perhaps it's just the unknown in general out there. And the first question that comes to mind is simply why. If you're Daniel, don't you have a right to ask that question a little bit? I've served you, God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be the one. He gets caught in the backwash. You ever been punished for somebody else's mistake? Any of your kids think they've been punished for somebody else's mistake? Why would I have to do that? It was, just fill in one of my kids' names if you want to, all right? It was their fault. Daniel, from what we know, was a good kid that was trying to follow Yahweh, and he gets caught in the backwash of what's happening in this judgment. You don't know why? There are two real reasons, I think, Daniel in particular, that this happens to him. First of all, it is simply that God disciplines his children first. The other day, we were, we'd had a long day. We, was the, we were the six of us, and we went out to eat, and we were all kind of tired. You, you know how when summer hits and that sun hits, and you just have that, there's a summer tired that's different than a winter tired. You know what I'm talking about? Like just... So we sit down in a booth at a restaurant. That's always a little bit of an adventure for us, a restaurant. And at some point in the meal, the kids just snapped. You know, French fries being thrown somewhere, 
drink gets spilled, yelling starts to happen. Now, I just grabbed two of them up and I went outside. And I just had a nice conversation with them. And there may have been a pat or so involved in the conversation. And when I got done, I walked them right back into that restaurant and I sat them right down with their parents sitting at the booth next to us. They weren't our kids. Now, do you think that happened? No, it seems that the law doesn't like you disciplining other people's kids, right? Are you here? Some of you are acting like you didn't get that, all right? I, don't, I didn't do that to my kids, all right? The reason that Daniel's here is because God's people walked away from him. Can I tell you, just honestly, as the church in America, when we see the way our culture is hurtling away from biblical Christianity, the first question we need to ask is, what is in our camp that is causing God to discipline us? Now, if you look on Facebook, all the Christians are blaming everybody else out there. But the truth is, God disciplines his kids first. And the second reason is not just because God disciplines his kids first, but secondly, it's because the second why is this. Because he has to figure out who's counterfeit and who's real. Now, let's just be honest about it. God already knows that, but he wants it to be revealed. You know what's interesting, I think, about the book of Daniel? We hear about four heroes in the book of Daniel, right? We hear about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. First of all, I think it's really interesting that just in our language, we call Daniel by his Hebrew name. We call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian ones, all right? Let me ask you just a quick question, okay? Do you think that those were the only four guys taken from Jerusalem to Babylon? You think they were the only four? So why do we only hear about those four? Well, we can't too much we don't know it doesn't tell us but the assumption is that a lot of the rest of them just went with the flow god will bring struggle into our lives god will allow struggle in our lives to reveal whether or not our faith is true and the second question after we figure out the why which we don't have to figure out the why the better question is this what do i do it doesn't really matter why have you ever figured that out if, if you ever, if, sometimes I think if I got an exact answer on why, it still wouldn't change my situation. Right? Right? The real question is, what do I do? And what we're going to do over the next three weeks, this week, for the next couple of minutes, and then for the next three weeks, is we're going to unpack that. What do we do? How do we live in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trouble, but also in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile towards us as believers? We've got four things that we need to do, and then we're going to talk about it for the rest of the week. We're going to show it in this story and then talk about it. We need to resolve to live for the Lord no matter what. We need to put our hope in Him. We need to treat others with humility, and we need to use God-given wisdom. If you want to know the outline for the book of Daniel, in every situation he resolved to do what was right. He put his hope in the Lord God Almighty. He, with humility, requested things and served the people that were around him. And he used the God-given wisdom that he had. Here's the rest of the story, and then we'll be done today. Daniel resolved. So they're giving him all these really good food. There are probably a couple of things that would have been wrong with the food. First of all, some of the food probably violated the Jewish law that Daniel had been taught. Secondly, uh, most of the food that they would have been served would have been first sacrificed to idols, and that's a whole issue in the New Testament and around. But just point, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now let me just give a little side note here. This is not an attempt to tell people that Daniel's diet is the only diet that is good. 
And all of you that like meat said, amen, right? That's not what's happening here. What it's saying here is in this situation, at this time, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the food of the king. It doesn't matter what that food was. If that would have been vegetables, Daniel could have eaten meat. It doesn't matter. It's just that this is what's happening. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Hey, chief of the eunuch Ashpenaz, hey, I don't want to defile myself. Can I not eat what the king sends? And this is what Ashpenaz says to him. God gave Daniel favor and compassion on the side of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I'd love to do that. <laughs> I really would. Daniel, I think that's a great idea. I understand your dilemma here, but uh, here's the problem. I, I, I'm a little afraid of the king. He's the one that told you to eat this food and your drink. And if he comes along and you're worse than the people that are around you, He's going to ask why you look worse. And I'm going to have to say it's because he wouldn't eat the food. And I'm in charge of you. If you don't eat the food that you're supposed to eat and you're worse off than you were, you would endanger my head with the king. Now, that's not a euphemism for I'll be in trouble with the king. That means I will die. This is what Daniel says to him. Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, then just test us. You see, Daniel resolved. And with humility, he goes to the guy. He doesn't say, this is ridiculous. I can't make you, I can't believe you're making me eat this food. You know we can't eat this food. We're Hebrews. You would never make us do that. You ought to understand our religious liberty here and say that we don't have to eat this. You don't understand. That's not how Daniel reacts, is it? He just says, hey man, just an issue here. Is there any way I don't, I don't have to eat this? And he uses God-given wisdom. Just, just test us. Just test us for 10 days. Let's just eat the vegetables. We won't eat the meat, just, just the vegetables and the water. That's it. And we'll be good. So that's what happens. Our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the kings who we observe by you, you deal with your servants according to what you see. If we don't pass the test, we're done. So he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance. And I love this next phrase and fatter in the flesh. Man, wouldn't it be good for that to be the man? You look fat today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me that I look fat today it means I'm healthy. They were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story. Many of you know it. They're elevated. Things happen. We'll see over the next few weeks other things happen to it. But here's the point. The whole point of the story is not that Daniel and the three friends were saved by God. The whole point of this story is that Daniel resolved with hope and humility to live for the Lord no matter the consequences. The true test of your faith will be this. Are you able to live and follow the Lord no matter what circumstance or events, no matter what place you find yourself in? Daniel didn't know if this whole thing would work. He trusted the Lord. He gave him, but he was going to praise him regardless. But he said, listen, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to serve the Lord with my life. I don't know if it's ever going to come to that in the United States. I don't know if we're ever going to get to that place but what I do know is if it ever gets there, you can't resolve at that moment to do it. It's got to be set in your mind from the very beginning. Are you willing to live for the Lord no matter 
the consequences. Financially, relationally, career-wise, are you willing to live for the Lord no matter the consequences? Will you resolve today that no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to live for you? Let's pray together.